Well, in our readings today, we get a little taste of Good Friday in the middle of October. For the third time in three chapters, Jesus tells the disciples what is going to happen to him. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. What I read to you just a moment ago is a big turning point in Mark's gospel. We've been exploring the past few weeks, past several weeks, what Jesus means when he calls us to be his disciples, how to be a disciple of Jesus. But now there's an abrupt shift. Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. Mark doesn't make as big a fuss of this as Luke or John do in their gospels, but it's significant. Jesus has been traveling around Galilee, he's been teaching, but now he sets his face towards Jerusalem. And notice in verse 32 that he's leading the way. He's out front, leading the way to his own humiliation and death. And notice that those listening to him are amazed and afraid. They're afraid as they listen to what he says about being killed. And they're amazed because he's going towards Jerusalem. He's not going in the opposite direction. Not only that, but he's leading the way, leading the way to his own humiliating death. He's telling them what will happen. They will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. Imagine Jesus saying that. What was the look on his face? What was his body language? Have you noticed that death focuses us? The speaking of death focuses us? Well, I mean, eventually it does. Oftentimes in the classroom, I have to, to remind my students that they're going to die someday. And of course, they laugh. Because we always laugh at things that make us nervous, right? That's how a lot of comedy works. But I just keep telling them with a straight face and very seriously, everybody here is going to die. And I don't take any, any pleasure out of looking at this group of people and saying that you're all going to die. It doesn't give me any pleasure, but it's true. And once that begins to sink in, then there's a serious response. Thinking of death makes us think about life. I mean, eventually. Thinking about death makes us ask, what do we want out of life? Well, apparently, this talk of death has had this effect on James and John, the son of Zebedee. They have no doubt about what they want. In verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, I know our reading from Hebrews this morning spoke about approaching the throne of Christ with confidence, but I don't think this is the kind of confidence that the author of Hebrews is talking about. We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. This is yet another variation of who will be the greatest in the coming kingdom argument that Father Alex addressed a few weeks ago. It's the same position, the same desire, the desire for greatness. What this short story from Mark's gospel gives us are two very different approaches to life. The first is in verse 35, teacher We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. The second is in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life a ransom for many. This passage presents us with a choice, a choice between self-serving and self-sacrifice. James and John come to Jesus. They call him teacher, but they've not absorbed the core of his teaching. They're concerned with wondering about power and thrones and glory and honors. While they follow, literally follow, the simple, humble carpenter from Galilee who announces to his followers that he came to serve and not to be served. And yet, those following him are focused on their own career paths, their own success, their own future glory. But Jesus shows us a different way. Paul talks about this in Philippians. He tells us to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Although equal to God, he humbled himself. Jesus did not come to strut around and demand service from others, but he came to humble himself, even to death on a cross. And it's a good reminder to us as we walk through Mark's gospel, as we walk with Jesus through the gospel of Mark as we learn about discipleship and how to follow Jesus, to be brought short by the remembrance of what he came here for, to humble himself and to accept death, even a humiliating death on the cross. And that this was entirely Jesus' own choice. Paul in Philippians again, he emptied himself. Being found in human form, he humbled himself. This was the choice that Jesus made, and it's the choice we are confronted with this morning, to seek glory and honor and to be served by others, or to humble ourselves and to serve others, to be served by others or to serve others. And it isn't just glory and honor that James and John are seeking, but power. They ask, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory, Now picture that, and what do you picture? James and John sitting on the floor in a beanbag chair? On a metal folding chair? No, it's a throne, right? Of course that's the picture you have in your mind. They're asking for a position of power, asking for a throne on each side of Jesus. And what's the point of sitting on a throne to command others to do what you desire, to have them carry out your orders and to serve you? And it's interesting that James and John are the ones making this request because they come from, I mean, how do you judge these things? Fairly wealthy family? I don't know, but definitely a middle-class family. We see this in just one little line. If you read it fast, you may miss it. But in Mark chapter 1, verse 20, the first chapter of this gospel, uh, Jesus calls James and John, the son of Zebedee, and they leave their father in the boat with his servants. James and John's father has servants who work for him. He has servants. He owns a fishing business. Matthew's account of this very story, it's Mrs. Zebedee, James and John's mother, who is pushing them forward to make this request. She wants her boys to be well, to do well. When Jesus calls James and John to follow him, he leaves not only behind his fam- their family, but also their servants. 
And maybe they looked back at those days of having servants around and wanted a reward for following Jesus the last three years. And this desire for power makes them blind to the suffering that Jesus says he will suffer. Jesus says they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Here's a man saying, I'm going to be mocked, spit on, flogged, and killed. And their response is, Before all that happens, can you grant us what we want? Completely uncaring to what Jesus has just told them. It's almost disgusting to read it, isn't it? But isn't that what the desire for power does to people? It makes them blind and deaf to the suffering of others. Or even worse, they do hear and see, but simply refuse to listen or to care. We see this attitude in politics, in business, in our workplaces often, and even often in the church. I'm glad to be a part of a church that honors the office of deacons and there are, are people in this congregation who are, who, are, who are trying to discern a call to be a deacon which is very interesting because deacons don't do anything they don't get any kind of special powers all they are are present and active what a call that is not to do anything but just simply to be present and active Not a desire for power, but a desire to serve. Well, then the ten disciples, the other ten, ten of the twelve, heard it in verse 41. They began to be indignant at James and John. Of course they're indignant. They didn't think of it first. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. But it shall not be so among you. Let that be our motto. Will you answer the call to serve? Well, of course you will. That's nice. And it's important. But Jesus issues another call in our passage Not just a call to service, but a call to suffering. Jesus said to them, to James and John, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Perhaps when Jesus mentions a cup, they're thinking about sitting on the throne drinking a nice cup of wine. When Jesus talks about baptism, they're thinking maybe about a nice ceremonial washing before a big banquet. But Jesus is talking about suffering. Jesus says, Then the cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. James and John are mark, are make, uh, make bookends of the apostles. James is the first disciple to be martyred. Fourteen years after the resurrection, For 14 years, he spreads the news of Jesus' resurrection and then Herod beheads him. His brother John will be, according to tradition, the last of the apostles to die. One is the first martyr among the apostles. One is the last to die, but both suffer. Whether beheaded or exiled on Patmos, both will suffer greatly for Jesus. 
and both will learn the cost of discipleship. But at this point in the story, at this point, they've spent three years with Jesus. Three years of listening and learning from Jesus. Every day for three years, listening and learning from Jesus, and they still do not understand how discouraging it must have been to Jesus at times like this. Don't you get it? But the disciples don't get it. And they won't get it until they see the work of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross and his glorious resurrection. We might volunteer to serve, but we won't be moved to sacrificial service by Jesus' words alone, by reading his inspirational teaching, but by realizing who he was and what he did and understanding that he lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died. I know that because the disciples for three years heard Jesus' inspirational teaching, but they didn't get it until they saw who Jesus was and what he did. And as we continue our service this morning, listen for the reminders, the many reminders of who Jesus is and what he did And ask yourself where you are called to sacrificially serve Jesus and others. In Jesus' name, amen.